0: This is City AM Unregulated. I'm Emma Hazlitt. On this week's show, New Year, New Job. How to change it up in 2017.
1: And, you know, people think, go and work in the family company and put your feet up sort of thing.
0: James Reed, chairman of recruitment agency, Reed.
1: Well, you couldn't be more wrong.
0: On how to shake up your career.
1: If you feel miserable at work, you should certainly be looking for a new job.
0: On going from graveyard to the biggest recruiter in Europe.
1: The story goes that the guy who had my job previously had been levelling a grave and a parishioner had come up to him and said, what are you doing digging up my husband's grave? At which he'd flippantly replied, he hasn't been paying his rates lately.
0: Hello and welcome to City AM Unregulated. This week we're looking at how to get a new job in the new year. I'm joined by James Reed. He's the chairman of recruitment agency Reed, and he's going to share his expertise with us. So let's start with, how do you actually go about looking for a new job? Well, we can help you with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we can help you in many ways. Um, but first thing to do is really think about what job you want mm-hmm. and why. You know, what's your motivation?
0: It, it's quite hard to sometimes to work out what job you, you want, isn't it? I mean...
1: Like, yeah, it can be. I mean, if you've already got a job, you, you've, you've got a view on whether you like it or not mm-hmm. and, and whether that's a career you want to continue with or it might be something something you've decided that you want to do that's different. But either way, I think it's, be, it's important to be clear about what you want to do and why before you do your job search because otherwise you're going to waste a lot of your time and other people's. So if, if, if you do that first, and, and in, in my book, Why You? There's a whole chapter on this, on how to think about it and how to approach it.
0: And we should say at this point that you've got a new version of
1: the book out? Yeah, there's a new edition out out right now that, that um, includes 10 extra questions so it should really be 111 interview questions <laughs> you'll never fear again um, and uh, yeah the, the, what's good about the questions in the book is that they're real questions being asked by real interviewers right mm-hmm. now because we surveyed we surveyed our employer clients and we asked them one simple question what's your favourite interview question? And we got hundreds and hundreds of questions back and we put the most commonly asked ones are the most interesting ones in the book. So they're real questions being asked by real interviewers.
0: And what, and what are the hardest ones that people are facing?
1: Well, the meanest question, mm. which I hadn't heard before, was where does your boss think you are right now? Oh, that is mean. It's mean. <laughs> and, and, you know, you want to make sure you're able to answer that while well, I've taken an afternoon off work or <laughs> the interviews at a time when you're not meant to be at work because you don't want to be lying to anyone who, who, who might be considering employing you in the future because that's no. a terrible thing to do and not a good start.
0: No, absolutely. Um, and and what, you know, if you are hit by a curveball question, so um, once somebody asked me what animal I would be...
1: Yeah, um, what did you say? Oh, I,
0: I was telling the producer about this earlier, I said a dog because I like dogs it was the worst answer ever I got the job you got
1: the job well, yeah. and it wasn't the worst answer ever. but that question is in the book is it <laughs> so people still ask it so, you'll be pleased to know I mean, how do you uh, react
0: to those curveball questions those really tough ones
1: well there's no right answer to a question like that no I mean there are possibly some wrong answers I mean, a snake doesn't sound great, <laughs> <laughs> but there are possibilities. <laughs> yeah, there's no right on. So I think what well, they're they're trying to put you under a bit of pressure to see how you react under a bit of pressure, mm-hmm. and and I think it's important to just take a moment to think carefully and, and, and to explain your thought process. So you might—I mean, I wouldn't mind being my mum's dog, because this dog is you know, is, is adored and adoring, <laughs> so and, and <laughs> has a very nice life. I think so. If, if there's—if um, you're able to explain why you've come to that view, I asked someone that question the other day, and they said, you know, they'd like to be a sloth, okay. which isn't an obviously attractive, uh, <laughs> doesn't have lots of obviously attractive characteristics to potential future employers, but uh-huh. is a popular animal, and they like trees. They said so. Yeah, you know, there was some sense in that,
0: and they're also really good at social media. Yeah, well, <laughs> very they're fantastic, successful media.
1: marketers, aren't they? <laughs> Sloths. So, yeah, that's right.
0: Um, at, at what point should you leave your job?
1: Well, our message is a very simple one: it's Love Mondays. That's our brand message, and it means you know everyone should find a job in which they feel happy and fulfilled. And mm-hmm. I believe that I really believe that's possible. So if you're in a job that you do not enjoy or you feel unhappy in and you have felt that way for quite a long time, it's time to look for another one. Because I don't I mean we only live a certain amount of time, most yeah. of our waking hours are spent at work. It's important to find a fulfilling and meaningful job. And that's different to every person. So I think, you know, if you're if if you feel miserable at work, you should certainly be looking for a new job. I'm
0: James Reed, and I am here to
1: slay the beast that we are a Baker, you hate Mondays, don't you? Yeah. It's a commute, isn't it? Not surprising, really. Two hours there and back with that lot. Huh. Come on, I'll find you a sweet job 35 minutes away.
0: Gah! I mean that ad campaign makes me laugh every time. But in it the character who is you he's playing you yeah, right my alter ego yeah he's yeah, he,
1: yeah he's not exactly me but <laughs> <laughs> we share some characteristics <laughs> he
0: uh, he goes into offices and takes people who are working in offices and asks them to be things like scuba divers and things is it possible to make as drastic a career change as that yeah
1: i mean it is metaphorical um, mm-hmm. i mean and it's, it, funny. And, and it's meant to illustrate that it's possible to change so but we did actually once we were once asked to find a welsh speaking scuba diver <laughs> who, who was a marine biologist? Oh my god! And we did find that person. Wow! <laughs> so you know there are jobs like that that come up, and and um, uh, it, it's important, I think, if you're if you're clear about what you want to do to pursue your dream, and if okay. it's scuba diving, there are plenty of people who make a living as, as scuba divers.
0: Going into the interview, I mean, you, you said earlier that sixty percent of people get nervous when they go into interviews, which is, as you mentioned crazy that 40% don't but what do you do what how do you prepare for an interview
1: well i think it's odd that 40% don't admit to feeling nervous when they go into an interview if they don't they've got a problem because mm-hmm. it, uh, nerves is about energy yeah and it's about channeling your energy constructively and the best way to go into an interview is to be prepared for it you know there's that old adage you know fail to prepare prepare yeah. to fail and it's true and um, a good way to prepare for it is obviously read our book which has got (laughs) all the questions that you're quite likely to be asked in it but there are lots of other ways to prepare for it but if you're well prepared you you have confidence when you go into the interview you're still nervous but you have confidence you're well prepared and and you'll be able to deal with the situation and the other thing that's really important is to be there on time because if you get there late that puts you on the back foot straight away and 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 it's not going to go well
0: could you be over prepared? Could you research it too much and therefore get Yeah, nervous? well, you don't want to
1: come over like a stalker or something. You know, you've sort of researched your interviewer sort of on mm-hmm. Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, endlessly. I mean, yeah. that, that 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 might look a, a little strange. And, and, and so I think it, you want to be careful about that. But I think being well prepared in the sense of being clear about why you want to do the job, what the job involves, um, all the research that you can do now is important. And it's so easy now to find out about opportunities that you should do that
0: what are the worst clangers you've heard of in interviews people performing badly or saying the wrong thing
1: uh, we do this we, we, we do research this from time to time we've had people arriving at interviews without wearing a shirt we've what? had people bringing their mums we've oh had people um, in various states of have- shall we say disrepair (laughs) people who've been drunk people who've been you know smoking and people who've come in holding half drunk soft drinks so all of those things give obviously a pretty poor impression yeah and um and it's not going to go well so it's interesting their mums yeah a little funny isn't it so so but the, the the thing that really is difficult for people now is what should i wear yeah. Because dress code is is, is, is is so varied. And you know, if you're going for an interview at a tech company you might wear something different to if you're going for an interview at a bank or if you're mm-hmm. going to an interview at a media company, they're all different. And and the advice I'd give to people on that is look at social media look at th- those companies websites and you can get you or, or even go and stand outside and watch the people go in and out and you'll be able to get a sense of what they wear yeah. before you go for your interview and when you go for the interview maybe wear something that's a little just at the top end of smart for what they would typically wear mm-hmm. because the first impression you give is is hugely important people judge people very quickly and i'm not saying that's right but they do and uh, what you look like is very important
0: I think I mean I think that's particularly true for women, isn't it? If because you know if you're a man, bang on a suit, you're pretty much sorted. Oh, no, you can
1: get it wrong by putting on a suit. Why? <laughs> Lots of media tech companies would not want to hire someone who walked in, in a suit and tie. So you know that that. So I think it's true of men and women, and it, and and you know everyone wants to look right, and and, and it it's important to boost your confidence. You know, if you go in feeling I look good I look, I'm properly dressed and prepared for this interview mm-hmm. you're more likely to come over as a positive confident optimistic person
0: okay Um, I want to move on to CVs because they you know this they're, they're a contentious subject frankly what is the worst thing you could do to make your CV not stand out
1: well you the worst thing you could do to make it stand out badly is pepper it with errors yeah and uh, I talk to employers all the time who say the first thing we do when we get a bunch of applications is look at the letters and CVs that have come with them. Mm-hmm. If we find mistakes, they go straight in the bin. Okay. And I said, wasn't well, that a bit brutal? And they say, well, no, it's not because accuracy is important to us. So yeah. where a job requires accuracy and you can't even get your own CV right. You're out of the picture. So, so and it's not... Yeah, being an English graduate, it's not necessary to have a CV without errors on because you can always ask people to look at it for you and check yeah. it. And so I, mean, I I write blogs and stuff all the time. and When I finish with it, there's often errors, but I give it to a guy in my office who's a very good proofreader and he'll he'll finish it off for me. So there's no harm in asking for help with that, but it's really important that your CV doesn't have mistakes.
0: Have employees become more forgiving of that in the past few years? It's, you know, we're using TechSpeak now and things like that.
1: Not really. I don't think they have. And uh, you know, if, if if it's and, and I think you want to be careful sending text messages and things like that, mm-hmm. or, or messaging people in a very informal way when it's a job in application process, because there is a, still a formality around it that is important. There might be an informality once you get there, but there's a sort of formality in a, and uh, that is still, I think, important. So avoiding silly mistakes. But then, how do you make your CV stand out? Well, someone once said to me success is as easy as pie and i said to them well what's that mean <laughs> and, and pie stands for passion p for passion i for ideas and e e for energy and if you can come over as someone who's, who, who's giving off those three things and has those three things to offer then you're going to get a good start
0: how important is linkedin in all of this my LinkedIn profile is woefully inadequate, probably. Do you need to fill in all the bits and have all the awards and honours and paragraphs about yourself and recommendations? Or is it better just to put the kind of bare bones?
1: Well, I'm on LinkedIn and and a lot of people I know are on LinkedIn. I'm not looking for a job, but I use it as a way to communicate to people mm-hmm. occasionally and, and to keep in touch. So I think it performs a lot of different functions. I mean, it's interesting. There is software that alerts recruiters to people who might be about to change job because they update their LinkedIn profile <laughs> and they ask people to recommend them. So this all happens, funnily enough, at a time they think they might be on the move. Um, LinkedIn is a great database. It's a great database if you want to go and look for people as a recruiter. So, yeah, I, th- I see no harm at all in being on LinkedIn. But I wouldn't expect that to be the answer to your mm-hmm. career requirements. So you might get someone approach you on LinkedIn, but there are lots of other... Ways that you should also be activating your search.
0: So what about robots? Robots? Robots are taking all our jobs.
1: Yeah, this is really interesting. This is a subject that I'm very interested in. The sort of machine learning, artificial intelligence, robots, the future. I'm very interested in this. People are telling us all the time in the media that driverless cars are going to be the thing of the future.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: They might be. But we have more jobs for drivers on our website now than we've ever had before. Really? So on the one hand, you're hearing driving, you know, that's passé, that's history. But there are more jobs for drivers than ever before. Why? Because you've got Uber, you've got Amazon delivery, you've got you know, a huge amount of uh, demand for drivers. So if you want to work, being a good driver right now is going to guarantee you a job. So that is interesting. And, and is, it, uh, is technology going to destroy jobs in the future or create new ones I mean this has been a question that we've been asking for hundreds of years actually mm-hmm. and there are more people working in Britain now than ever before so you'd have to say if you look at it objectively that technology has created more jobs than it's destroyed up till this point will that be in the, the, the case in the future well some jobs will certainly disappear but my belief is that new ones will be created And in terms of my own career, I went to business school in America, and I graduated in 1990. I learned a lot of things at business school, but the most valuable thing I learned was when I went back in 1995 to a five-year reunion. And at that reunion, 20% of my classmates were doing jobs that didn't exist when we graduated in 1990, and they were all to do with the Internet. So in that period of five years that had started to emerge, 20% were doing jobs that did not exist when we graduated. So you couldn't have imagined them. And uh, when I came back to the UK after that reunion, I th- thought long and hard about that and took investing in our website very seriously. Yeah, and we started, okay. We'd started it just in '95, and it's become the biggest job site in Europe. But that was, that was a sort of aha moment that I had at that reunion, that this was coming. We couldn't have foreseen it five years before.
0: So we shouldn't be scared of robots. We should embrace them.
1: Well, there are two ways of looking at the future, aren't there? Through, through fearful eyes or, or, or through more positive ones. And I mean, no one wants, in, in, in business, no one wants to follow a pessimist. So if you're an entrepreneur, I mean, you're going to be an optimist. So that that is a sort of failing of my sort of DNA. So I am optimistic <laughs> about the future. I might be wrong, <laughs> but that's how I'm approaching it. So I think it will create lots of opportunities. I think it's going to be very exciting how technology develops. And um, there'll be lots of people who are in college or in school now who will be doing jobs in 5, 10, 15 years' time that we cannot imagine.
0: Can we beat the robots with things like extracurricular activities? You know, is the fact that I enjoy knitting going to help me keep my job at some point?
1: Does your job involve knitting?
0: No. This well, is what I'm saying. Then you can carry
1: on enduring it. I mean, <laughs> that's sort of, No, I think... I like the section on CVs where people put their personal interests um, because I think it tells you a bit more about them. And I'm, I think when you, when as an employer or recruiter, when you interview someone, what you're trying to do is find out as much as you can about them. And what you really want to know is that, uh, what you can find out about their character.
0: Does it? I mean, does it really matter that they're into World of Warcraft?
1: I don't know. It depends on the job. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought so. Not for most things. But I think it does matter if, if you're able to say. And, if, and providing it's true, you've got to say things that are true. But if you're able to say, you know, I I I like running. I do marathon runs and raise money for charity. That shows that you've got an extracurricular interest that is in, is going to impress people. I think. Okay. It's going to stand set you apart as someone who's contributing in some different way beyond their work.
0: And what are the other big trends you're seeing in the jobs market at the moment?
1: Well, what's really interesting in Britain is this whole Brexit debate, and there was a lot of doom and gloom about what was going to happen should we vote Brexit, and a lot of concern amongst employers about that. But since then, in the six months since then, jobs have gone up 8%, 9% on our website. Really? So no one foresaw that, really. So the job market is in good shape, so that's important to stress. And I think, you know, going forward, it will continue to be in good shape for, for some time to come. I mean, obviously, you have to keep your eye out for business cycles, recessions and things which mm-hmm. will come. But that 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 has surprised people. And I think the other thing that's surprised people is with the fall in sterling in the value of the currency, that wasn't really... Well, it was foreseen, but what wasn't foreseen is how much um, the stock market would go up as a result. And that's given a lot of confidence to businesses in Britain to invest and expand. So there might... Brexit might trigger almost accidentally a sort of boom in Britain, <laughs> which, which I, I think is, is quite interesting and was unforeseen. More widely in the job market, though, technology jobs very much in demand. People who have technology skills, you know, that, that they're being sought after. So technology is a very important sector. Engineering as well is a very important sector. Um, so those areas have grown. Banking and finance has been a bit quieter, but it's still a good sector.
0: Do you think a lot of those jobs are going to move to France and Luxembourg, as is threatened? Uh, no, I
1: don't. Okay. <laughs> because I, I don't think that... I mean, some of them might, but the, London is a very, very important financial centre. It has been for a very long time. There's a huge amount of expertise there. It's hard to move that.
0: On the Brexit note, you have called for the UK to cut VAT to 15% and to cut corporation tax to 15% after Brexit. Do you think that's going to happen?
1: Uh, if I was in charge it would but I don't think that's <laughs> going to happen <laughs> so, so, um, and the reason I think that's a good idea is I think it's important to reposition I think this, uh, this moment you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur I see this moment, you, you, you look for opportunities in things, this is, a, this is a moment of opportunity for Britain, the country to reposition itself mm-hmm. as a different type of economy um, in Europe, On the, well not in the European Union but we're still in Europe that offers different things and, and if you think about what happened with Malaysia and Singapore, Singapore is now the economy in Southeast Asia. Well, it wasn't when it was separated off from Malaysia. The Singaporeans were really worried about that. So they created something that was different. They took that opportunity and they made something of it. And I think we should do the same. And I think repositioning the British economy so that business sees us as the destination to locate in Europe is a really good idea. And I think putting money back into people's pockets, because wages have been flat, for a long time and the quickest way you can do that is cut VAT is also a good idea because that will trigger more spending in Britain. You know, with the with the currency going down, you go to the airport and you get one euro for a pound, I mean, you may as well stay in England for your holiday. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, if, and if, if things are easier you know, to buy, it will give a big boost to the economy. So this is a moment, I think, where we should be trying to give a big boost to the economy.
0: So Philip Hammond is listening. There's a, there's a hint um, I want to talk about, about Reed itself because it's quite an interesting story. But your first job wasn't at Reed; it was in a graveyard.
1: Yeah, spooky. What
0: was that? <laughs> Tell us about that. It was spooky.
1: Um, well, it was when I was 17 years old, and I needed to earn some money. A friend of mine had a job in, a, in, in in with another parish council, and he told me that a position had come up to work for Old Windsor Parish Council in the cemetery down by the Thames and the story goes that the guy who had my job previously it was effectively the job was leveling graves in the cemetery so that the mowers could dig them uh, go over them smoothly had been leveling a grave and and a and a parishioner had come up to him and said what are you doing digging up my husband's grave <laughs> At which he'd re- flippantly replied he hasn't been paying his rates lately so he got <laughs> fired <laughs> and this cr- this created an opening for me and um and i got this job which i was leveling and it was in the winter it was old windsor just down by the river thames and it was cold and it was hard it was hard work yeah i
0: can imagine and i
1: remember one foggy morning i was i was um working in the Cemetery, and I could see this little old lady sort of picking her way down the pathway towards me through the fog. And she came up and she said hello, and I, I said hello. And she said, "Do you enjoy working here?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I do." And, and she said, "Well, at least it's not lonely." Yeah. And then wandered off into the into the graves. And, and I still don't know whether this was an old person taking the mickey, or I'd seen a ghost. <laughs> I, I still don't know the answer to that. But uh, uh, it was a it was a good first job because. I realised that some jobs are really pretty tough, and I didn't want to do that for the next 50 years.
0: Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So then you moved on to work as a media planner at Saatchi and & Saatchi, and then you were at the BBC as an assistant producer before yeah, you followed yeah, in your dad's footsteps. How was it going from the kind of whizzy world of the media into recruitment?
1: Well, it, was, it was interesting. Well, the Saatchi & Saatchi job, I really enjoyed, because it was in the 1980s when... Advertising was going through this phenomenal, so sort of boom period. At that point, I think the Saatchi's were about to buy a bank at one point during that period, and I had the job of doing the advertising for the Eurotunnel campaign. So I played a small part in raising money to build the Eurotunnel for the train to Paris, and we'd we'd made this fantastic ad that was a minute long of a helicopter flying low from London to Paris. A speeded up film mm-hmm. on a sunny day, and it said one day it would be possible to fly, you know, travel to Paris like this, you know, emulating the train journey, and it was a beautiful thing. And, and um, we'd bought—I was the junior guy in the office—and I'd bought media for all the television stations in the UK to put this ad on because we were raising money for the investment in the railway, and um, this was a huge campaign for Saatchi's. It was a really high-profile uh, you know, client. And we put this campaign on air, and my boss and all the team went out for a big boozy lunch to celebrate. And I was the most junior person in the office. And it was uh, 1986. No mobile phones or whatever. And I was sitting in the office, and and, uh, after about half an hour, everyone had gone. The phone rang, and it was someone from the top floor, as they put it, which was the Saatchi's office who just said, um, I'm calling from the top floor, you've got to pull the campaign. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean I've got to pull the campaign? They said, ring up all the television stations, tell them that you're not, we're not putting the campaign live and we're not paying for it. I said, you sure? And they said, yes, do it. And... And I thought, I hope this isn't a prank. <laughs> so then I rang all these television stations to tell them, and I got a flea in my ear. And the reason we'd had to pull the campaign is it was being debated in Parliament, the uh. Eurotunnel Bill or something that afternoon, and you are not allowed to unduly seek to influence Parliament by law. So someone had not thought this through, an illegal person. So anyway, this I pulled the campaign. I got abuse from you know, television station after television station through. And then about four o'clock, my colleagues returned looking rather red-faced from their lunch. And, and they said, oh, how are you? And I just looked up and said, I've pulled the campaign. And they went, what? <laughs> they all looked like they were have a heart attack. So, I, so that was a quite a memorable, memorable <laughs> day. Um, and eventually the campaign went ahead and the money was raised and the train was built and the railway was built. But there were lots of exciting uh, things that I learned there. So that was a good experience, and then and then I worked at the BBC where I was making business programs and television documentaries, and that was a good experience. And then one day, my dad said he he was going to. um, He'd been talking to me for a while about joining him in the business, but he said, "You know that job I've been talking to you about. I'm going to advertise it in the Sunday Times. If you don't, if you don't let me know whether or not you want to come and join me."
0: That's one way of encouraging you.
1: Yeah, he sort of got me to jump off the fence, (laughs) Uh, and um, and I'm glad I did. I mean, this is we're talking 1994, so a long time ago now. And um, what was good, though, is I'd done a lot of work in media and in TV. And what was happening in the early 90s was obviously the emergence of the Internet. So we went from broadcasting to narrow casting, if you like. And, and so what I'd learned was very helpful. And I was very naturally interested in what was going on in media. So I was drawn to the web as a, as a way of giving expression to our service, which was good at that time.
0: And how was it following in your dad's footsteps?
1: Yeah, Was interesting. It quite intimidating. Uh, do, you, uh, do you compare
0: yourself to him now?
1: Uh, we're different people. I mean, and we have different strengths and weaknesses. I love my dad to bits. I've really loved working with him, and mm-hmm. that's been a, a real pleasure for me. And he's still working. You know, he's eighty two years old. So he, he started work at sixteen. Wow! So he's been working sixty six years. There aren't yeah. many people in the country who could say that. It's really impressive. And and fifty six of those years at Reed. I mean, he's not he's not a, a, you know running the company anymore, but he still works with the with us. It was quite, yeah, it was intimidating. I think that was why I sat on the fence for so long. I was worried about that. And I think anyone in a family business situation who's coming through as the next generation would be if they've got big shoes to step into. I mean, he's a great entrepreneur. He'd been very successful. And I didn't want didn't to let the side down. So that was, a, that was a challenge for me. And, you know, people think, you know, you can go and work in the family company and it, you know, put your feet up sort of thing. Well, you couldn't mm. be more wrong. I mean, if you if you if you've got the same name as a family company, you've got to work twice as hard as everyone else, because everyone's watching what you're doing.
0: <laughs> did you find that you went in and kind of took a softly, softly approach, or did you go in and say, right, everything's changing?
1: No, I, I want I wanted to learn. Okay. I went in to learn as much as I could, and I still do. I mean, one of the things I learned from my dad is he spends a lot of time visiting offices and talking to people, you know, who who are doing the consultant job you know, day in day out. And we're very interested in people's ideas, people's opinions, and what people would change, because that's how you improve your business. So my, my approach has always been, how much can I learn? here?
0: So final question, James, on the man of the hour, what can job applicants learn from the unlikely success of Donald Trump?
1: Yeah, I thought that was very interesting how he went about being an outsider, winning the application, if you like. And um Yes and no. I, th- I think one of the things that... You, I, I think the language you use, how you, how you stand out from the rest of the crowd, how, how you demonstrate you're going to do things rather than talk about things are all mm-hmm. things that I recall from the Trump campaign. Now, I not, might not agree with all the things he said he was going to do, but I've got a pretty clear idea of what three or four of them are. And I live in another country <laughs> and I wasn't yeah. voting. So, you know, he got his message across. So I think, you know, employers want to... To hire people who they think are going to bring a lot of energy and dynamism to their business, usually, who are going to help improve it. So if you can take some of that from him, think about that and how you might repackage it yourself. I mean, I'd hate to think everyone turning up for job interviews uh, acted and behaved and looked and was like (laughs) Donald Trump necessarily. (laughs) I mean, we're not all applying for president of the United States. But he did do something that was fairly unique. And, and as an outsider, he won. And, and, you know, that's often when we go into job interview situations, we might think, you know, I'm a bit of an outsider here. How, how can I turn that to my advantage?
0: And if all else fails, just keep telling everyone that you're really, really great.
1: Or better still, you're going to make them great. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> James Reid, thank you so much for coming down and talking to us. And if you're looking for a new job in 2017, good luck. Thanks to James Reed. This has been City AM Unregulated. You can get Unregulated on cityam.com, subscribe with iTunes, Spotify, or use RSS with your favorite podcast player. City AM Unregulated is an Audio Boom production.